Well, hello, Hope City Church. It's good to see you today. Everybody who's watching online, so many of you are. Everyone who's in the room with us, uh, just excited we get to be together uh, as we continue uh, teaching through uh, the book of Galatians. My name's Jason. I'm the pastor here at the church. And uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to get a chance to do that. But uh, we have been taking uh, the last several weeks, and we're going to take the next several weeks to teach through this book of Galatians together, and uh, I'm enjoying doing that, which, by the way, kind of totally separate thought here for a second. I don't know if anybody saw the report this week um, that they found some more Dead Sea Scrolls, fragments of the Dead Sea Scrolls. I don't know if you saw that. I know I'm just going to nerd out for a second here, um, just lead off with a little archaeology study. But um, they, they this past week, in all seriousness, they found some fragments of the Dead Sea Scrolls in the Judean desert. And the reason it's so cool is because it's just another confirmation of the Bible's accuracy, uh, which I just think is awesome. And um, these particular fragments that they found, this is the first discovery in about 60 or 70 years. They had um, uh, some fragments from the book of Zechariah and Nahum and the Old Testament. So again, just another confirmation of the Bible's accuracy, which I think is cool. But even bigger than that is the fact that it is also a confirmation that when we come together on these Sunday mornings or whenever you're watching this, when we come together and we open the Bible and we try to learn from it and study it together, we are participating in what Christians have been doing for thousands of years. You know, the buildings may look different. uh, The dress may be different. Uh, The style may be different, but Christians for thousands of years have gotten together in homes and caves and hillsides and boats. I got a text this morning from somebody in the church uh, watching the the, uh, service from the lake. They said, church at the lake. I said, that's probably where Jesus would be, honestly. And that's where he liked to hang out. And so wherever Christians have been, they have opened up the Bible And they have read it together and they've studied it together and they've asked questions about it and they've explained it to try to be more like Christ, to try to be more of the church. And so that's what we're doing um, and and just a part of something so much bigger. So these eight weeks together, we're studying this letter written by the Apostle Paul. He obviously wrote it to the Galatian Christians and it's really a letter uh, about transformation. That's what we've been talking about is transformation, that you have the ability to change some things about you, but you cannot transform yourself. You can change yourself, but you can't transform yourself. Only the Holy Spirit can transform you. And, and so Paul writes this letter about transformation, about how when you believe the gospel, when you uh, believe that Jesus Uh, is God, was God, that he came to this earth. He lived as a man. He came because we needed a savior because of our sin. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And when you believe that, that his resurrection gives you a chance to be alive, when you believe that Jesus is the savior that you need, because your sin's worse than you think and God's love's greater than you think too. When you believe that, Paul says, your life is transformed. That, that the Holy Spirit begins transforming you. This isn't just moving the furniture around. This isn't just a little bit of change, uh, behavior modification. This is life 
transformation. This is what he preached to the Galatian Christians. But then these other, uh, what, who Paul calls false teachers showed up and they started teaching that that's not true. That the responsibility is on you to change yourself. And so they were showing up saying that the message is believe in Jesus, change and God will love you. But that's not the message of Christianity. That's not the message of God. The message of God is that you, you change, or you, excuse me, that's not the message. You believe in Jesus and God's love will change you. And specifically for these Galatian Christians, they were struggling with this idea that you had to believe in Jesus and act Jewish, which is not our struggle, but it was their struggle. That there was a certain Old Testament requirement to being a Christian. And again, that's not our struggle, but we do struggle with believing that faith in Jesus alone is enough. We struggle to feel like we need to do more for God. We struggle to feel like we need to be a better Christian. But what we've said every week, we're going to keep saying, it's kind of the big idea that there's no such thing as, as a better Christian. There's no such thing as a better Christian. This feels wrong to even say that. What do you mean there's no such thing as a better Christian? Like, doesn't God need me to be better? No, God doesn't need you to be better. The more you believe in the gospel and believe in Jesus, the more he will transform you, but he doesn't need you to be better for him. And ironically, the Galatians were walking away from Christianity by trying to be better Christians. Think about that for a second. That, that by trying to be a better Christian, they were actually walking away from Christianity because they believed that wrong order, that it was believe and then change and God will love you. But Paul says over and over again, we've been reading this, that it's faith in Jesus that will transform you from the inside out. The religious leaders and the people that Jesus hung out with or was around during his time, they were awesome on the outside, but dead on the inside. And Jesus has always been, and Christianity has always been about transformation from the inside out, which is so much more frustrating than outside in because we can control the outside, but we can't control the inside. And the Holy Spirit does that. And so today we're gonna continue reading this letter together. We are in chapter two. We're gonna read some verses in chapter two. If you have a Bible, you can get that out or phone or it'll be on the screen for you. But we get to read this story in chapter two that I really believe that all of us can relate to because today we're gonna read about how Peter, the disciple Peter, uh, we're gonna read about his struggle to not be a hypocrite. And I just think that's so encouraging that the disciple Peter was hypocritical. You say, well, why is that encouraging? Because I'm hypocritical and you're hypocritical. And so it's encouraging to me that even Peter was, was hypocritical, this original disciple, this top leader in the church. And I think it's easy sometimes to think that once you're a Christian for a little while, you won't struggle anymore. But this story that we're gonna read happened about 15 years after Jesus resurrected. So this is a, this is a 15 year Christian, if you wanna think of it like that. This is a 15 year Christian who is a leader in the church authored books of the Bible and he's struggling with hypocrisy. And uh, that's, that's encouraging <laughs> to me. Uh, and, and so I think we can all relate to this. And the question that we wanna try to answer today, the question we wanna try to figure out the answer to is why? Why would Peter, this 15 year Christian church leader, why would he struggle with hypocrisy? Why would he struggle to line up his actions with what he says he believes? And more importantly than why Peter would do it, the question is why do we do it? 
Why do we struggle to live the way that we say we believe? Why do we struggle to line up our beliefs and our, our actions? Why are Christians so hypocritical? Have you ever wondered that? Anybody ever asked you that question before? Maybe you've asked that question before. Why are Christians so hypocritical? Maybe you have prayed and, and you've come to church and you swore to God that you wouldn't do something again. That thing that you don't want to do, you told God, I'll never do it again. And then two days later, you did it, right? You ever experienced that? Have you ever felt close to God while you're at church, but then you act like a completely different person at work? You know, there's like a, there's like a church version of you and there's like a work version of you. And maybe the work version, you know, is cursing all the time or feeling pressure to laugh at crude jokes or you're afraid to talk about your faith. And you would even say like, if people found out that I was like a, a church like leader, they would be like, huh, that person? Because I have like church guy and, and, and work guy, right? Have you, ever, have you ever felt convicted and cried and told God, you know what, God, I, I'm not gonna have sex anymore until I'm married. I'm not gonna jump in the bed with the next person I start dating. You know, I'm, I'm gonna wait, God. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna line up what I believe about sex with my sex life. I'm gonna do that. And then the next relationship, like date two, you're in the bed. And you're like, I, I, I don't know why I do that every relationship because I don't, I don't wanna do that. Or maybe you've told God you're gonna stop caring so much about what people think about you and you're just gonna worry about what he says. Hey, I'm living for an audience of one. You know, me and God, I don't even care about your opinions. And then one comment on social media, you're spiraling. Why do I care so much, right? Or maybe you, maybe you say, you know, I need to be the spiritual leader in my home. I know that I need to, I need to lead my family, dad, lead my family, husband, and and, and, and I've been asking God, you know, God, I'm, I want to be more patient. I'm not going to lose my cool anymore, God. And then, you know, bedtime the next night, you're just yelling. And you're like, why am I yelling at bedtime, you know? Or you want to be more generous. And you swear that when the money comes in, you're going to give it. When that, when that stimulus comes in, you know, we're going to give it. Next thing you know, you know, you're buying stuff you don't even want. But... You spend it before you can give it. And you're like, no, I believe in generosity. I, I do. It's not that I don't believe it. I do believe it. I do believe in God's you know, role of sex. I do believe in being the leader of my home. I do believe that the person I am at church is who I'm supposed to be at work. I, I do believe those things. But I can't seem to line up what I say I believe with my behavior and, and honestly, I, I am hypocritical. Why do I do these things? And depending on how long you've been around church or depending on the kind of church you were raised in, the answer that's usually given is, it's because you don't love God enough. It's because you're not really a Christian. I would push back on that because I do believe that the apostle Peter loved God. I believe you love God. I believe I love God. So I don't, I don't think that... The, the easiest, quickest answer that you don't love God enough is the answer. Is it because you're not really a Christian? If you were really saved, you must not really be saved. If you were really saved, you wouldn't do that. You're a fraud, you know. Is it because you're a bad person? Well, at a basic level, yes, we're all bad people, but it's, it's not some even, you know, more bad than others. 
those kind of quick reactions, those guilt and shame-based reactions, I don't believe are the answer. And the reason I don't is because what we're going to read today and what Paul is going to tell us today and what really he's going to tell Peter, we get to read about this, this conflict between Paul and Peter. And what we're going to read is Paul is going to say that the reason that Peter is a hypocrite and doesn't line up his behavior with his beliefs and the reason that you're a hypocrite and I'm a hypocrite is because we forget the gospel. We forget the gospel. And so I want to read this together. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. We're going to read this together. And here is what it says. It says, but when Peter came to Antioch, so just quick reminder that last week we read about Paul and Barnabas and Titus going to Jerusalem for an important church meeting. We talked about how we know God personally, but we follow him together. And so that was verses one through 10 of chapter two. Now there's another trip. And this time Peter is coming to Antioch where Paul is. And this is what Paul says. When Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, which again, we think like, oh yeah, but this is a big deal. This is like the two most important people in the Christian faith, like getting face to face. This is like, there, there would be headlines, tabloids, like Peter and Paul come to blows, you know, cage match. Like this is controversial, you know, this is, this is huge. This is like, you know, the Pope and, uh, you know, the president or something like, like going at it. So this is a big deal for anybody reading this letter, like, whoa, like Paul and Peter are coming, coming to conflict here. He says, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. Again, it's that word necessity that's the problem. It's not circumcision. It's not fill in the blank. It's necessity of whatever you, you would be. Verse 13, as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. And when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? Verse 15, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like Gentiles, like the Gentiles, and sinners is in quotes because he's kind of referencing his heritage, what he's been told from birth about those other people. Yet, we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we believe, and we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Verse 17, but suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. In other words, Paul says, what if we get to the, you know, the end of the end of our life and God's like, you know what? It, it, it wasn't enough. You were supposed to also do all this other stuff. Paul says, what, what happens if, if we think it's faith in Christ, but then we're found guilty because we've abandoned the law? Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, verse 18, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I've already torn down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. <clears throat> My old self, verse 20, 
has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Maybe you've heard that before. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We're gonna come back to that. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. So a lot there, right? There's just a lot there that we could talk about. But in the middle of all those verses that we read, Paul is really getting to this question of Christianity. What is a Christian? You know, the book of Galatians, we've said, is really a letter about the Christian life. What does it mean? How do you live a Christian life? How good's good enough? How bad's too bad? And Paul, he doesn't use these words, but in really he's saying, you know, what is a Christian? And I wonder how you would answer that question. Like if somebody at work tomorrow came up to you and said, what is a Christian? What would you say? I wonder. I think it's a great question to to think about and to have an answer for so that the opportunity presents itself, you can answer. But what would you say? If someone said to you, what is a Christian? What would you say? I think all of us, our temptation is to describe the characteristics of a Christian. So, so someone says, what is a Christian? And we, we kind of react by saying, well, a Christian is someone who goes to church or a Christian is someone who believes the Bible or a Christian is someone who loves people no matter what or a Christian is someone who helps the poor. And listen, all of those characteristics are in the Bible talking about things that Christians do, but that's not what a Christian is. It's not what makes someone a Christian. Think of it like this. If someone, maybe, maybe you, let's imagine here for a second that you're a doctor and someone comes up to you and says, oh, you're a doctor. Uh, what is a doctor? You wouldn't say, oh, a, doc, I, a doctor wears a white coat. Now doctors do wear white coats, but that's not what makes someone a doctor. You can go to the store and buy a white coat. Does it make you a doctor, right? It's a characteristic of a doctor. Or let's say that, um, Maybe someone who's kind of a really passionate about health. Let's say they said, you know what? In order to be healthy, you have to have a gym membership. Well, that's not true. I can testify and speak from experience that a gym membership does not make you healthy. <laughs> I have a bank uh, statement every month that auto debits that gym membership for me. But that does not mean that I'm healthy. Now, it's probably true that a lot of healthy people go to the gym. But just because you go to the gym doesn't mean you're healthy. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a characteristic, but it's not the definition of what a healthy person is. Does that make sense? And so these false teachers in Galatians would say that a Christian is someone who has faith in Jesus and lives like a committed Jewish person. The Old Testament. But Paul says, no. You can pick out of those customs and traditions things that would be good for a person to do, but that's not what makes someone a Christian. Look at what he said, we read there, that a Christian is someone who has been saved by placing their faith in Jesus. A Christian is someone who's been saved by placing their faith in Jesus. And listen, we know that Peter, the disciple, we know he agrees with this. 
We know that in Acts chapter 10, he had this vision uh, of all this unclean stuff that he was taught as a kid was not clean. And God, three different times, because Peter is a stubborn son of a gun, three different times, God has to say to him, that's not true anymore. There's no such thing as unclean. And we know that's in Acts 10. We know in Acts 15, he was on board with... uh, faith in Jesus alone. We know last week we read where Peter said he didn't add anything to the apostle Paul's message. So we know that Peter, we know for certain that Peter believes that a Christian is based on faith in Jesus alone, not based on Old Testament traditions, cultural traditions, and and Jewish laws. We know that to be true. But then on his next visit, Peter acts differently than he says he believes. He's had a vision from God. He's had a revelation from God about the truth and he believes it, but his life looks different than his belief. Now, I don't want to go too deep in the weeds here, uh, but I, I want to make sure that you know what Paul is so upset about. Because Paul's not upset that Peter stood him up and they were supposed to have dinner on Friday night, but Peter went and hung out with somebody else. He's not upset about the restaurant that they chose to eat at. It's a much deeper issue for Paul. And so I wanna, I wanna explain this to you a little bit. Um, in the Old Testament, God instituted what is called clean laws. There were three types of laws in the Old Testament. There were clean laws, moral laws, and civil laws. We don't have time to get into all of that, but you go read uh, the Old Testament and you see three different kinds of laws. And the clean laws specifically had to do with the Jewish people and all kinds of rituals that would make them clean. These were complicated regulations about worshiping and you had to do these things in order to be considered clean and acceptable to worship God. You couldn't worship God. You couldn't go to the temple and worship God if you were unclean. And so there were about 630 laws of those 630. There were specifically clean laws, certain foods you couldn't eat. You couldn't touch a dead animal or a dead thing or have a disease, or you couldn't touch somebody who had a disease If you've ever tried to read through the book of Leviticus, you're very familiar with like, you're like, I'm trying to get through Leviticus, you know, and it's because it's a lot of these things. And these are also the things, by the way, that people who want to argue about the Bible, these are the things they kind of cherry pick and say, oh, well, the Bible says that you can't wear, you know, wool sweaters and eat shellfish. So, right. So this is, they're describing like these clean Jewish laws. Okay. And so the question is, why would God care so much about animals and rules? And this is, this is really important. So everybody listen, I want you to get this. God gave the Jewish people in the Old Testament, which is not you and me, by the way. He gave these people in the Old Testament these, these clean laws for a lot of reasons. But the biggest reason that God gave them these laws and rituals was to prove how badly they needed a savior. Because what you find is that no one could keep all the laws. No one could be clean. This is, he, he had all of these laws and, and ironically, we have now taken the Bible and we have used it to prove how good we are. But the original purpose of the, the laws of God was to prove how bad we are. Does that make sense to everybody? And so everybody showed up to the temple unclean. 
And according to the, the, the Old Testament, if you were unclean, there, it required an animal sacrifice. They would take an animal and they would kill the animal and it required a blood sacrifice. Again, as you, if you've ever tried to, you're like, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to start at the beginning. At some point you're like, what? That's what all this is about, right? And it required a blood sacrifice uh, uh, of an animal. And listen, everybody had to have a sacrifice, even the priests. No one showed up and was like, hey, I've been spotless this year. No one, everyone required a sacrifice. And so, and so the, God gave them these laws to prove to them, you need a savior. You need a savior. That's why Paul said in another letter to the Romans, he said, it was the law that showed me my sin. In other words, Paul is saying, I didn't realize how bad I was until I started keeping score. And by the way, you should try that sometime if pride's ever what you struggle with. If it, just start keeping score and, and you think, well, I'm a pretty good person. Why don't you spend three days trying to have a perfect record obeying all the commands in the Bible? Don't be jealous of anyone. Listen, we'll throw out the Old Testament just to make it easier, okay? We'll just take New Testament. Don't be jealous of anyone. Don't gossip. Don't be fearful. Don't be anxious. Don't lust. Don't be prideful. Don't be greedy. And if you really start keeping score, you won't make it two hours. I, I know I quote C.S. Lewis all the time, but I'm kind of in a C.S. Lewis reading mode right now. He said it this way. He said, no man knows how bad he is till he's tried very hard to be good. And if you've ever tried to be good, you realize how bad you are. And so God's laws were never intended to convince you that you're good. They were always intended to convince you that you would never be good enough. So, so get this, God gives all these laws to drive you into the arms of God. You're supposed to read the Bible and go, I need a savior. I need God. You're supposed to read the Bible and feel a need for a savior like a, like a kid who the bell rings on the last day of school before summer break. You're supposed to run into the arms of God like that kid running into summer break, Right? And so we have Jesus, we don't do that. But in the Old Testament, you didn't have any other choice. You had to just try your best to keep all the rules and stay clean. And inevitably when you failed, you had to offer a sacrifice to cover your sins. But Jesus changed all of that. For these people who are in this story and these Galatian Christians, and now year, 2,000 years later, you and me, Jesus changed all of it because the Bible shows us and teaches us that Jesus is the blood sacrifice. And I know I've gotten down in the weeds here, but this is the Christian faith that Jesus is the blood sacrifice. You don't have to go get a, a lamb anymore. He is the spotless lamb. You don't have to go get a dove anymore. He is the blood sacrifice sacrifice because we are unclean and Jesus can be your savior and he can free you from the law if you want him to, but not everybody wants him to. And these false teachers show up and they say, you have to believe in Jesus and still do your best to meet all the requirements. And look at what Paul says in verse 21, we read it. He says, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. In other words, Paul says, it can't be both. It's either or. Either it's obeying the laws to that save you or it's admitting you can't obey the laws and it's Jesus' sacrifice that saves you. 
This is why Paul is so passionate and so up in arms about this. He's saying, look, God didn't give the Old Testament laws to Christians so that they could prove their Christianity. He gave them the laws to prove that you'll never be good enough to be a Christian. So you got to pick. Either you want to try to earn it yourself or you want Jesus to earn it for you. But it can't be both. It's either Jesus or it's you. Who's your faith in? That's what Paul's saying. So Paul is upset because when Peter hangs out with the Galatian Christians, he orders like a barbecue pork sandwich with a side of ham and shellfish appetizers. I mean, he is all in. But then when the Jewish Christians show up, Peter's like, I mean, you can't be a Christian and eat you know, barbecue pork and shellfish. No good Christian would ever eat the, the pork and the shellfish and the ham. And Paul's like, bro, you ordered it to go Friday night. Why are you talking now like a good Christian wouldn't eat there? And I saw you get seconds last weekend. That's why he's upset. But here's where it gets interesting. Paul doesn't say, Peter, you're a liar. He doesn't say, Peter, you're a coward. Look at what he says in verse 14. We'll put it on the screen. If you have your Bible, you can underline this. When Paul's describing why Peter acts one way in front of one group of people and another way with a different group of people, he says that he does it because they were not following the truth of the gospel message. I think this is so interesting because so often when we're doing something wrong, we think what we're doing is the problem, but it's not the problem. It's just a symptom of the problem. So if we're hypocritical or we know someone hypocritical, we say the problem is that they are lying. The problem is that they are having sex. The problem is that they are gossiping. The problem, that's not the problem. That's the symptom of the problem. If we're struggling with being hypocritical, the problem is that we have forgotten the truth of the gospel message. And what does that mean? Well, I don't know if they still do it anymore, but at some point, I know that when you got pulled over by a police officer who suspects you've been drinking, one of the ways they can tell if you're sober is they, what? They make you walk a a, a straight line, right? Again, I don't know if they do this anymore, but that you'd walk straight line. And if you can't walk a straight line, it's a sign to the officer that you're under some kind of other influence, right? And that's the language that Paul is using here because in verse 14, that word following, the literal translation is, we would say it like this, we would say uh, ortho walking, ortho, like straight, like you go to the orthodontist to make straight your dentist, your dentist, your teeth, right? And so, ortho walking, Paul is saying that they are not, they're not able to walk a straight line of of the gospel. They're not following the straight line of the gospel. And Paul is saying that just like a police officer tests you to see if you're under an influence, if there are areas of your life, and there are for all of us, if there are areas of your life where you're not walking the straight line of the Christian life, it's because you are under some other kind of influence. Does that make sense? So there, there is a straight line of the gospel, 
And when you can't walk that straight line, you say, well, in this area of my life, I'm not walking the straight line. It's because there is something else in your life that is influencing you besides the gospel message. And I know we've said it every week, but let me say it again. The gospel message, you say, what is the gospel message? The gospel message is that you're more weak and sinful than you know, but you're more loved by God than you ever dreamed. That you are more sinful and weak than you know, but you're more loved by God than you've ever dreamed. And Paul says, if you remember this, you will be able to walk the straight line of the Christian gospel life. But if you forget this, something else will influence you and it will get you off the straight line. And so the Christian life is bringing everything in our life in line with this message. And when we're out of line, something other than the truth of God is influencing us. And this is why we need to hear the gospel message over and over and over and over again. Not just when we're first saved. We need to hear it every day. Because if 15 years after Jesus' resurrection, Peter could be influenced by something else and off of the straight line of the gospel Christian life, come on, you and I will too. And so when we forget that we are saved and loved and accepted by grace alone, we become legalistic and prideful and insecure and hypocritical. We condemn ourselves. We condemn others for certain behaviors. We forget how much we're loved. We abuse grace. We live in a way that dishonors God. These are all things that happen when we forget that we're saved and loved and accepted by what Jesus has done, not what we do. And if you, if you say, well, that sounds good, Jason, but how do, how do I do that? Well, look at, look at, um, look at verse, I lost it. Look at verse uh, 20. He says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live this earthly, so I live in this earthly body. Look at this, by trusting Everybody say trusting. By trusting in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, Paul didn't say it like this, but here's how I would say it. It's the difference between trying or trusting. It's the difference between trying or trusting. When we trust in Jesus, and we trust that Jesus really does love us, and we trust that Jesus really did give himself for us. It transforms our life, and it keeps us on the straight line of the Christian life. But when we don't trust it, and we're trying to convince ourselves that we are lovable, and we're trying to convince ourselves that we are whole and we are complete and we are worth dying for and we are worth accepting. Then we're going to get off the straight line. And so if you would go to work tomorrow, let's say the apostle Paul was to see you at work tomorrow acting like the work you instead of the church you, he probably wouldn't call you a liar. He would just probably tell you, remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. 
If Paul ran into you at the bar or the club this weekend, acting like the weekend you instead of the Sunday you, he probably wouldn't say, don't dance like that or don't drink like that. He would say, have you forgotten the gospel? If Paul stopped by and heard you yelling at your kids after a day of NTI, he probably wouldn't tell you to stop yelling. He would probably say, remember the gospel. Because the gospel says that you are loved and accepted and made whole by Jesus Christ and that he is enough. And you don't need anything else besides Jesus to be right, to be righteous, to be loved, to be accepted, to be worthy. But when we forget that or we don't believe that or we, we, we look to other things, we are influenced and pulled away. And for the just moment I have left, I, I want to show you, I want to show you how it pulls us away. Why, why do you act like a different person at work than at church? Is it because you're an awful person? No. It's because you don't really trust that you're supremely loved by God, that you are worth dying for, you are accepted. And so in that moment, subconsciously, when you're around the guys at work, there is something inside of you that says, I need them to accept me. I need them to approve of me. I need them to like me. And if I asked you straight up, you wouldn't say, well, it's really important that my coworkers like me. You wouldn't say that. But on a subconscious level, not being accepted or, or not, it makes you feel as if you're not enough. Nobody wants to be on the outside looking in. So in your mind, it's Jesus plus being accepted by other people that actually makes you complete and whole and right. When you keep hooking up with people for sex, it's because you don't know or don't believe what the Bible says. It's not because you don't believe what the Bible says. It's, it's because there's another influence that you don't really trust that Jesus Christ accepts you and loves you and, was, and, and thinks you are worth dying for. You need someone else to tell you you're beautiful. You need someone else to tell you you're sexy. You need someone else to, to embrace you or to accept you or to love you. Or maybe you need the pleasure or maybe it's about the power play. So it's Jesus plus feeling beautiful. Jesus plus being powerful. Jesus plus pleasure that makes life right makes you acceptable, makes you whole, makes you complete. Why do we get so angry when our kids decide they don't wanna play sports or make the best grades? Well, part of the reason is because we need them to succeed because Jesus's love and Jesus's life was not enough. It's Jesus plus accomplishment that makes somebody really worth something. But the Apostle Paul says, no, that's because you're forgetting. You are already worth something. You are worth Jesus Christ loving you and giving his life for you. And so ironically enough, ironically enough, it's not that you're a hypocrite because you don't love Jesus enough. Ironically, we're hypocrites because we don't believe we're loved by Jesus enough. 
You understand the difference? Somebody says, well, you wouldn't be a hypocrite if you really loved God. No, it's the hypocrisy in us that comes out when we believe we're not truly loved by God. And so it's Jesus and money. It's Jesus and acceptance. It's Jesus and being liked. It's Jesus and being able to control people. It's, it's Jesus and our sexuality. It's Jesus and power. It's Jesus and applause. It's Jesus and being told I'm beautiful. Jesus and being important. Because Jesus, love, and life, that's good, and I believe in that, but that doesn't make me whole, Jason. That doesn't complete me. That doesn't make me feel acceptable and loved. I need Jesus and something else. And so for them, it was Jewish behavior. It ain't Jewish behavior for us, but it's something. There is some other influence that is pulling us out of the straight line of the Christian life because we don't believe truly in our hearts that Jesus loves us and gave his life for us in spite of who we are. And so we have to believe the gospel is true. And I, I'm gonna, I know that this sounds so like overly spiritual, but, but what if, what if, what if you go to work and you decide, you know what, I'm not going to be under the influence of, of, of their acceptance or their approval. And you were able in some way to say, even if the guys make fun of me or don't include me, I know that Jesus loves me so much. He gave his life and that I am loved and accepted by God because Jesus thought I was worth it. What if we said, even if I don't get to have sex, I get to have the love of Jesus that gave his life and that made me loved and acceptable and right with God. Maybe we have to go out to our car during our lunch break to just remember and trust again that Jesus loved and gave his life for me. And if, even if I'm never able to buy all the things I wanna buy, I am so loved by Jesus that he gave his life and he made me acceptable and right with God. Paul said, I live my life trusting in the son of God, Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. So are you trusting? Are you trying? Are you trusting that you love, you're loved? Or are you trying to be loved? Are you trusting that you're complete or are you trying to make yourself complete? Are you, are you trusting that you're enough because of Jesus or are you trying to make yourself enough? Can, can you see why now we don't need the deep stuff? This is the deep stuff. This is the deep stuff. The Christian life is spending every day trusting that we are loved and accepted by God based on what Jesus did, not what we do. And we need God's help every day to believe that and to stay on the straight line of the Christian life. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that while I was hopeless, I was not worthless, God. Because you sent your son Jesus to die 
and pay the penalty for all of my wrongdoing. He took that. And God, when I forget that, I start trying really hard to be somebody or earn something. But God, I pray that this would be a reminder today that it's not about trying to be loved, it's trusting that I'm loved. It's not about trying to be complete, it's trusting that you are completing me. And so God, thank you for Jesus that I have a real life tangible example of how much you love me. And so God, when I feel tempted to, to, when I'm pulled away, God, and tempted to to, to try to earn something or feel something or have something that that I'm convinced I have to have in order to be somebody, will you help me remember that Jesus already did it for me? Help me to live my life in the straight line of the gospel, live the straight line, walk the straight line of the Christian life, not because I've got to prove anything to you, not because I got to do things for you. God, you already did it for me. And I pray that from the inside out, that, that, that message, that truth that I am more sinful and weak than I ever knew, but more loved than I ever dreamed, God, I pray that it would transform me from the inside out, that I would stop trying to fix myself and I would believe that you love me just like I am. In Jesus' name, amen.